You're listening to BQN. Assimilate the audio. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of All Good Things, a Star Trek Universe podcast here on BQN and the Fandom Podcast Network. I'm your host, Kelvin, and with me today, it's Amy and Christos. Hello, hello, hello. Amy, she's back. I've, I've not seen you for, because we took the week off last week. You've been trotting about everywhere, having a great time. Yes, I had to go visit some truck family out in Nashville. Hello, boys. Um, had such a wonderful time. We played a Star Trek trivia game uh, that was, I just barely opened it and brought it with me to Nashville. It was TOS, um, so it's a little difficult for me, but like some of the questions were so easy, like you had to go to different planets and after each planet, the questions got increasingly difficult because you would move from one pack to the next pack. So the Ooh. first planet questions were hilarious. Like what were the color of the boots? And it's like, um, is this a trick question? Black? what were the color of the pants? And I'm like, this has got to be a trick question. Black? I mean, so some of them were just very, very easy. But once you got going to the other planets, then the questions progressively got more difficult. Ooh, I can't believe you did a trivia without me. I know. <laughs> That's the only time I will play because I don't want to lose. Calm down, Calvin. <laughs> Calm down. I know I'm being triggered. Do you know, yesterday, yesterday I, I purposely didn't attend the Galaxy Class Live episode because it was trivia with Jim. And I thought, it's not about me. <laughs> I'll just listen in the car and scream out the answers as usual. Let the guys have yeah. their moment. How was that, Amy? You know, it was really fun. Uh, Jim and Keith came on. They wrote the questions. They even had some uh, picture trivia. So we were able to do that and it was live. We had some listeners that were, um, we actually gave them points if, you know, they guessed it, but we didn't. And the listeners got more points than I did. Wow. I came in dead last. So we have very smart listeners. Thank you. <laughs> I look forward to listening that this week when it drops. And how are you, Christos? I am good. I feel like I've been in a little bit of a temporal vortex myself. I had a, a very long business week of travel and whatnot, and it was just kind of go, go, go 24-7. And um, it was a weird week that I did not pay much attention to social media. I even at one point, I had to mute our BQN chat just because I couldn't, there was too many notifications and I was in the moment. I was like, I'm just missing everything, but it's okay. Life will go on. And I, I did survive. I, you know, so, uh, but it is kind of like, feel like I'm kind of catching up with things this weekend, but um, yeah. Good, good stuff. Yeah. Um, at time of recording today, it is the 5th of November or November 5th. Does that mean anything to you guys in America? Because it's a little bit of a pagan holiday here in oh. the UK. I only know it because of the movie V for Vendetta. Yeah, so it is Guy Fawkes Night or Fireworks Night, as it sometimes is called. And it's uh, an old, very old holiday uh, about uh, a guy who tried to 
set fire to the Houses of Parliament in a big political revolt. So, and he was called Guy Fawkes and he was burnt at the stake. He was um, tried for treason against uh, the, the monarch at the time. So now on the 5th of November, there is a uh, bonfire and you create almost like a scarecrow, a little effigy, and you pop it on the top and it's called the Guy and you have a bonfire and burn it. It's very, very dark when you overanalyze it. But I mean, yeah, it's, it's for children. <laughs> It's strange. Yeah. It's funny. I think we could we could make that January sixth and just burn scarecrows at Trump. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it would literally be like you know, like the storming on Capitol Hill type yeah. event. That's what I the, mean. Yeah, 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 exactly that. And you know, Trump <laughs> Trump is uh, burned alive anyway. Oh. So yeah, happy, happy bonfire night. So I know. And if, can you see the fireworks behind me? Yes. Out of my window? I can now. Actually, there they are. Look at that. Oh my gosh. Listeners, there's actually fireworks going on behind Kelvin. Right, right on cue. I didn't even arrange that. <laughs> right, well, um, I hope there's room in the escape pod because we've got a double serving today. So let's get on with it. This is the bridge. All hands to emergency escape pods. Escape pod. I always feel weird when Mark's not here. I feel like I'm stealing something from him. I know. <laughs> He's taking his bit. <laughs> so, guys, this week we send a fond tata to uh, Lower Decks for another year. So we've got episodes 9 and 10 to discuss, which fortunately was a two-parter. So it's all worked out very well for us here on All Good Things. Was it a, a pleasant ending? How did, how did you find it, Amy? Um, I really loved it. It made me so laugh. Uh, that looks like Tom Paris. I can't see it. And they did it twice. Hilarious. Um, and I will be talking more about this on Union Federation. So I'm going to save a little bit for that. Um, but I loved seeing that. Mariner finally get to her own, you know, sort of how with Strange New Worlds and Uhura felt like she belongs on the Enterprise. It's sort of that feeling that's like, okay, Mariner's here. She's ready to serve and, you know, be in Starfleet. I loved the callback to first duty. I, I, I didn't, you know, it's kind of funny. Is like, I kind of like sensed Will Wheaton was going to make a cameo, but I didn't mind him in a flashback. Uh, I thought it was really, it was, I thought it was really fun, um, the whole flashback. They got so many details right there at Starfleet headquarters, including if you look at the one shot of that, you could see Boothby working. <laughs> um, I, I really, really, really enjoyed this two-parter um, a lot. And it, it, it started to, there's a lot of details that it was starting to pull in together. And there were some really nice tie-throughs and some details yeah, Christos, you had mentioned the Lower Decks hasn't been your must-see TV. How how have you felt now for this season? Well, I like the last two episodes a lot. Okay. And I, you know, um, I'm glad. And one of the reasons I haven't, I've been struggling with it this season is the Mariner storyline was just dragging out for me. This whole... Mm -hmm we fix her every week and she just kind of regresses every, you know, it, it's kind of like this ongoing thing. So, um, so yes, we finally, I think got Mariner in the right place. And I think mm -hmm. that's a good thing. So I liked that a lot. Um, the whole Nick Licardo thing, I felt like it was, you know, the whole two episodes was very fan servicey, 
but you know the one star trek show that i'm really fine with that is is lower decks so mm -hmm. it's like it's just part of the whole what makes lower decks lower decks is it can be very fan service like the whole battle of the mutara nebula being kind of recreated i was so excited and the music cues there i'm like this is good yeah so i've got two things i want to comment on first of all the ship so Nick Lucano's ship, everyone was like, what is it? What is it? There's been a lot of things on social media of side-by-side, -side, dorsal, ventral shots of that ship with the Delta Flyer from Voyager. And they are identical outlines. So it was such a clue that it was Nick Lucano because you've got Tom Paris with the Delta Flyer and then Nick Lucano with that ship. So yeah. that's what I love it that I didn't crack that code, but that head in hands moment of oh now i see it so well done mike and the team um but i loved and it was so subtle i i hope you picked up on this christos the linking of it to picard season three. Oh, well, yeah with, you know we're looking for missing starfleet office former yes. starfleet yes. officers beverly crusher and seven of nine so i was like yes it really ties <laughs> it together tied, that yeah. bev left the enterprise shortly after nemesis and um, that she would not be there. Um, I thought that was really cool. I was going to bring that up, but you did. Thank you for that. Oh, yeah. I loved that Nick Lacarno's headquarters was like, looked like V'ger. Like, like that, that whole, if you're going, when they were going, flying through V'ger and there's that whole, like, that looked, I, I, I think that was on purpose, especially the way they did the lens flare part of it. I was like, that's very V'ger. Yeah, I think it, it was a good send-off. Obviously, it gave us a little bit of a cliffhanger with Tendi. Mm -hmm. um, so we don't know what's going to happen there. But I think Lower Decks is established enough now that they almost do the cliffhangers for a joke, and then it just gets wrapped up straight away yeah. in the next episode. Yeah. So I, I don't perceive there to be any real risk that we will lose Tendi. Yeah. Uh, however, we I... do have Tendi now, so who knows yeah. if the actress didn't renew. Well, I think that's perfect. I think you will see Tendi next year, but she might do be two or three episodes with the Orions. But then you have, the, to your point, to Lynn to kind of oh. fill that gap with the four. So you'll still have your crew on the Cerritos. I think I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but I am really enjoying that, like, Carol Freeman is not being portrayed as incompetent that she's well she's earning respect in starfleet and it's and she's being smart about things and that's great and i like that boimler ended up in command for a little bit mm -hmm. and he actually didn't lose his shit <laughs> like he was doing the whole captain kirk pose and did you notice that when they were pulling in with the tractor beam he was doing the kirk pose on the bridge i was like all oh, right in I, his I captain like voice yes yeah, he, yeah he was so we're great. seeing growth with these officers. Not only have they started to get promoted, that we're we're seeing personal growth. And depending how long Lower Decks goes, are we going to see almost an undermining of the premise of the series? Because the Lower Deckers are no longer the Lower Deckers. They're confident. They're in senior staff meetings. They've kind right. of bridged that gap to the command crew. So I'm I'm excited to see how it goes. Yeah, yeah it's really hard to write a show about people not making the decisions that matter. Yeah. So I, I totally get the conundrum that they are in. And yeah, you just can't have them not be promoted. You have to have them grow. So where are they going to grow? Well, they're lower decks. So we need to promote them or we need, you know, and it's it's this, it's the tough place to be sort of cornered when you're writing a show like that. 
Yeah. yeah. And I feel like to a certain extent, we have passed that already. They ha- they are. I mean, if Boimler can be put in command under regular circumstances, like there wasn't right. anybody, you know, like, all right, we've already kind of crossed that line. But I like that Lower Decks is not going to be the Simpsons, where it's Bart Simpson in the fourth grade for 30 some seasons, you know, mm. and that we're going to progress in the Star Trek timeline and we're going to can move toward events. Like we're probably a year or two away from like the big Romulan supernova, you know? And if that, if Lower Decks goes another year or two, it's going to catch up to that and we'll get to see more. Absolutely. So from our final contacts for the moment with Lower Decks, let's go into the theme of this week. We're continuing our first contact uh, storylines here, and we are going to be discussing The Next Generation Season 3 episode, Who Watches the Watchers? Who would like to give the listeners a little bit of a synopsis of what happened in the episode? While covertly monitoring a proto-Vulcan species at a Bronze Age of development, an accident leads to cultural contamination and a prime directive dilemma with the inhabitants of Mintaka Three believing in a new god, the Picard. I believe in the Picard. Do you, Amy? <laughs> I do believe in the Picard. <laughs> I think we all believe in the Picard. It's kind of like our core values as people. So I'm fine with it being a religion. <laughs> I have a book, that leadership book of him behind me. <laughs> yeah. How many times have we actually said about kind of our a friendship group, our Trek family, our coming together? that it is almost like a religious experience that we all, all have the same belief. So it's quite ironic, the attaching of the religion aspect to this episode. So I didn't realize until I was doing my rewatch today just how significant this standalone episode is to a lot of the continuity and the uh-huh. canon within things that came came after right yeah yeah so i found it quite useful to just make a few points and notes around it that i think the listeners would just enjoy us discussing for a while so i've made a list who do you want to pick a couple off that list christos what appeals to you what speaks to you Uh, this whole canon connections thing i first off well you know i'll jump to some of the other ones down here or maybe on the next Mm -hmm. go around but i the duck blind, I, I just love. And as, as soon as we got into Insurrection, you know, that was, I thought of this episode. I remember being in the theater watching Insurrection and immediately thinking back to this episode because we brought the duck blind back. But with what I was going to say was the first thing that popped to my mind on rewatching this time around was, I guess those hollow suits were kind of new <laughs> in Insurrection because, you know, that would have been one way to pursue, um, trying to find the missing uh, crew member would have been to put on the the camo suits and go looking for that crew member. And then yeah. you could just run around. Never thought of this before, but if we're allowed to put cloaking devices in clothing, how is that not a Treaty of Algeron? Uh, kind um, of, yeah. you know, are we breaking the, it's not on a ship, it's on a person, but we're still inventing cloaking technology in the Federation. Naughty. The the whole duck blind thing though, like it pops up several times in Star Trek. It's a major canon connection that I believe started here. And yeah. um, I, I will throw this out too: is like this was beginning of season three, and I was literally oh, probably twelve years old, loving here. And 
I remember like I was so thrilled just the show had gotten so much better and I even at 12 years old I could see that and it was like wow they're doing these grand things outside and it looks so like I know the word now it's like oh it looks very more cinematic than say the season one season two episodes and you know they're shooting on location more and I, I just remember like you know it, I just remember liking this episode a lot the first time I seen it so yeah it's very it seems very classic Star Trek I know we talk about tropes a lot but this seems very just genuine and a pure story of morals and ethics and high you know making people better people so yeah I love it what about yourself Amy what kind of stood out in this episode canon wise and continuity for you all right well uh I hope I'm not going to steal this, but it's here. And I did not even make a reference or remember this, but in Allegiance, uh, what is that? Season six? Five? It's still season three. Oh, yeah. It's really? just towards the end of the season. It's later. It's later in the season. Yeah. Oh, I thought it was way later. Okay. So if you guys remember the Bullion Cadet, he references this mission to Mintaka 3, which is this episode. And that's why Picard questions him and is like, hmm, might be the imposter because a cadet wouldn't have known about what went on at Mentaka 3. Yeah. So there's your yeah. clue. I like yeah. it. I love the Picard showing Nuria Mentaka 3 from orbit. And I can't I can't profess that I came up with this grand connection. But Picard does it four times throughout TNG and including the movies. He will show a woman, and I don't know if the gender is anything to do with it, but he shows a woman their own planet from space. And then in first contact, when he, he obviously Lily is one of those women, um, he mentions yep. that it was the perfect moment. Sorry, I beg your pardon. We're back on insurrection. He says to Anish that this was his perfect moment when time stopped when he saw his home planet from orbit. So it, with it being such a, a moment for Picard, he tries to replicate this by doing it to other women. So I've mentioned uh, Lily in First Contact. We have Nuria here. Do either of you know who the other two are? Can you remember? I'm quizzing you. Um. Okay, it came to my mind. I'm, I'm just guessing, but is it Data's android mother? not tonight it's not one of my four that i have okay all right okay so one of them is season one and one of them is season four if that helps i know i i had it and then you kept on talking and it went away from me <laughs> is it um tasha yar's sister and one of one of them okay let's okay, let's give you a clue the lady in Sorry, question wasn't wearing. They were. She wasn't wearing many clothing at the time, and she had a really bad blonde perm. Justice. Yes. <laughs> That's right. Yep. So he sold the Edo lady. And he, yes. Yeah. And then the other one would equally be, and I'm sure we will discuss this at some point in our first contact series. It's the episode first contact. So who oh, does yeah. Picard bring aboard? It, it's B.B. Newworth. Yeah. Yeah, it's the minister lady oh, who yeah. is played yeah. by 
Commander Toreth, Carolyn Seymour. Yes, that's right. the and one scientist. I remembered, not Justice. I remembered that one. What was the name yeah. of that episode? First, First Contact. Contact. Yeah. That's a good episode. I got to watch that episode in sci-fi class in high school. Wow. The teacher, put that on for a, the teacher put that on for us, and we did a whole, we watched it one day, and we did a discussion on it the next day. This is Deerfield sci-fi senior or senior year of high school. Things you remember. Wow! I wish I had a teacher who showed me Star Trek in school. That would be amazing. Uh, 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 like the, I got an A in that class. <laughs> <laughs> it was an English elective. Any more canon connections on that list uh, jumping out to you guys? I'll jump the one that's designed for me. Mm -hmm. Bev being Bev. Um, so beaming the injured to sick bay to hell with the consequences. Like Lillian first contact. This actually reminds me a lot of the, the 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 friction between Picard and Crusher in this episode is very much reminiscent of symbiosis, and it's kind of a picking that up. Like they 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 debate the Prime Directive a lot in that episode, and it's like right back there, and that whole like, well, you should have let him die. Like we were responsible for his injuries, you know. Mm -hmm. Like and Beverly's just like, I'm the doctor, you know. Like I, it's just like, and I I I was on Team Bev in this one, you know. That was like, you know, yeah, they they here we are showing up on this planet, interfering with them, and when our technology goes wrong, they get to die. Yeah, I think Beverly is doing the right thing. But Picard obviously is like, you know, you can tell the manager in charge, right? Like, yeah, no, mm -hmm. you should have let him die. It's very militaristic of him, the, you know, almost in a way to have that outlook. But I love that once again, I think Gates was only back. This is maybe the third or fourth episode of season three. And this is one aspect. I mean, it took a long time to get Beverly right again after her being gone. This was one area I felt like she's jumps right back into the role and she's having that not afraid to get into it with the card. Okay. So this is the first time that we get Riker's surgical alterations to fit in undercover. Now yeah. I just, it's, I do, they go back and forth between being surgical or being prosthetics because like we just saw in strange new worlds, with Spock, when he was human, he had prosthetic ears. I thought that was really cute, little in-joke there. So I I really wonder, is it surgical? And then did they move away to prosthetics? Because I feel like I've heard them say, you know, you yeah. go get your prosthetics. Yeah, you're right. Day. That's a really good point, Amy. I think that jumps back, you know, you have, um, you know, uh, Chapel on Strange New Worlds, who's genetically manipulating people to physically look different. And I think uh, Riker was genetically, I think they did do some things to him in that first contact episode that changed him. But then if you take because episodes like Unification, yeah. yeah, but when you take episodes like Unification, like I got to, you know, uh, you know, Dr. Crusher's measuring to do prosthetics, prosthetics. So, um, you know, the thing that jumped to me about the undercover part was the implantation of communicators into their bodies. And yeah. I'm like, why didn't we ever see more of that in Star Trek? Because obviously, you know, that's something that makes a lot of sense and we should probably have seen more of through the years especially like on a dangerous mission or something mm -hmm. like where you could be like a diplomatic mission where something could go wrong and they can take your communicator if you've got a chip in your brain they got something to you know they could scan for you they could beam you up maybe it just makes things a little too 
too easy. Mm -hmm. So we can't do that all the time. <laughs> Great point. Um, it's right in all the kind of shows where they'll say, oh, they're wearing a wire. You know, it's it's a great technique, but maybe it would have lessened the stakes if it wasn't used. But I thought it was used very well here. I particularly like that humor with Troy, the old mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Great. Here's another you may appreciate, uh, Christos, the reference to Dr. Pulaski indirectly. Yes um where it talks about wiping Nico's memory and Gates's delivery when she just stony faces looks at Picard really sassy and yeah. just says I am familiar with Dr. Pulaski's technique yeah I you know I've always loved that line and I I mean I caught I caught that snarky attitude way back when but I was like like, I just wonder, was that a director, the director? I wonder who the director of this episode is. Was that something that they coached her to do? Or was that Gates and the, you know, like, just kind of, a, or maybe it was Gates and Patrick kind of like, you know, because we all know more and more about <laughs> how Patrick felt about things too. So I don't know. Um, I think Amy's doing the research at the moment. But yeah, I would think that that could be either A, an actor's choice or a director coaching that person to do that but you're right kelvin it's spot on like it this like somehow uh it it's kind of like it's very meta right because it's like palowski and crusher would have no real reason to dislike each other crusher chose to leave the enterprise in universe and came back right so there'd be no real reason there for that so it's more of a meta reference to real life i don't know <laughs> Yeah, it was directed by Robert Weimer. So I'm not familiar mm, with his work. Mean anything to me. No. I, I'm choosing to believe it was Gates being Gates. Yes. And I love that. We'll take uh, finishing off with Gates, um, this was the debut of Beverly Crusher's long lab coat all of season yes. one. Uh, she only had the little hip length, and this was yeah. the first to the, the ankle. Yeah. This is one of the very few episodes, by the way, that you can tell that in the beginning of season three, Beverly's wearing the two-piece uniform. It, they, it, it, she had a two-piece uniform as well, and it took a couple episodes in before they're like, no, you know, those those uh, full-body suits work better for the women, and they changed it back. But mm. when she's leaning down to, before she beams up uh, the guy on uh, Mintaka 3, you can tell that she's wearing two pieces, and... I think that went for some, quite some money when they did that Christie's auction a few years ago. Hmm. It's really interesting you say that because I, when I was rewatching this morning, the scene in the uh, around the conference table, the way uh, Gates is leaning against the table, all of her uniform is all bunched up, so it didn't sit well on her body. So you can you can see it. Interesting. Right, they probably made the, the yeah. Like we're gonna you know, and I don't think that the women quite had the the problem with wearing the, the the stretch suits the way the guys did so or at least mm -hmm. they complain women are probably more used to that amy what do you think yeah <laughs> let's say we just don't complain about <laughs> bad clothing and shoes <laughs> okay so another reference to mentalkins i mean they're just getting referenced all over the place even in discovery with will you take my hand uh, the Mintakans were wiped out by Emperor Giorgio and Captain Killy in the Terran Empire. So again, this episode, this Mintaka 3, really fits in, like you said, this canon connection. 
yeah, Kelvin, your list here is pretty extensive and it's it's a lot for a one-off episode. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to finish off with actually my favorite, the tapestry that Picard is given at the end is seen in Picard's quarters draped over his desk chair for every episode and movie except Nemesis uh, where you were in Captain Picard's quarters. So the gold tapestry over the purple chair is this one from this episode. Yeah, and I cool. just think fantastic prop continuity. No. Amy is a god right. on the floor. Yeah, <laughs> I did not me. even notice that. Oh my gosh. I like this this whole little canon connection thing here. I feel like we're in an episode of Galaxy Class where they're doing a battle battle here, and why we talk about the importance of episodes. And this right? one has a yes. lot. <laughs> okay, well, now that we've kind of dissected the detail, um, let's let's be a little bit more thematic here. Uh, returning to our prime directive, the kind of the message in this episode was that concept of being programmed to fear. Um, what what is different? You know the way the Mintarkans, in particular, Liko, uh, were afraid of the Picard, and then the reverence and the God uh, complex of it. It got me thinking of, you know, Star Trek holding the lens to society then and now. Is this just an extension of us here in 2023? with the prejudices uh, that still exist in our society. Um, over here in the UK, there is a lot of controversy about immigration um, and a lot of the political parties. And I know obviously Trump had this with you guys, but the, a lot of the political parties will say we need to take control of our borders, stop immigration and that propagating fear of all of these people coming over they're all different they're going to undermine the sovereignty of the uk and erode our culture and it's just feeding that hate yeah. of these people are different whereas more enlightened people like us would see it as an opportunity to gain and learn and coexist there's that fear culture yeah. of you're different stay away Oh, We've not even touched on homophobia. So all of this rings true from this episode with me. What about you guys? What do you think, Christos? Kelvin, you could we could talk for five hours or more about this whole topic here because you're talking about globalism versus versus nationalism or isolationism. And you know, there's this whole trope that, you know, some of these wars and conflict are just allowed to happen so that you do have this refugee crisis. So then you do have this ability to stoke fear and into people and that's how you get more right people right wing people into office that's it's it's this mechanism of war i mean i without getting too too political if you look at what's happening in the middle east right now i mean too late we're already political but that's that's fine we're trekkies and we're allowed to talk intelligently about topics we shouldn't shy mm -hmm. away from that you know the whole Netanyahu had every warning before this thing happened, right? Every warning, but it was allowed to happen. So that why we can then justify further to do things that we want to do. You can't necessarily, um, you know, get your na nation behind you going to war until you have a breaking moment or something that, that excuses it, right? So you have that whole that whole thing and it just like you said it you know you have the people that are doing the drumhead type of thing to stoke fear and then allow society to move in a certain direction and i think 
this episode is very, 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 very Roddenberry-esque in the Star Trek thing. And, you know, Gene Roddenberry was still very much into things um, when this episode was made. But I will say it's like, you know, looking at an educated person versus, you know, who's ver has a more worldly view. I'm trying to think of the, the character's name in this episode, the one that Picard brings up to the Enterprise. Nuria. Uh, Nuria. Nuria. Nuria versus the outlook of someone like Liko, who has this very like uh, God fearing type attitude. I mean, the mm -hmm. contrast between the two characters is huge. I'm going to stop there and let someone else talk. <laughs> no, I, I agree with everything that you're saying. And like when uh, Riker and Troy first go in, it's Nuria that's like, you know, everyone is welcome here. Like her welcoming, it was just like so commonplace. And it's like, can't we just do that? And you're right, Crystal. It's like when you were talking about immigration and refugees, it's like you you have a choice on how you're going to look at it. Are you going to go down the, the uh, road of fear and know you're what you're going to destroy what I have? Or are you going to look at it as an opportunity of, what can I learn from them? We're going to be even greater. They've got my back. I've got their back. Like we can build on the strengths instead of fear the weaknesses. And yeah. Nuria and uh, Liko describe both of those paths perfectly. And the one that I just absolutely love is when um, Liko, I keep wanting to call him Loki because I'm watching Loki. Liko, <laughs> uh, is trying to predict what God wants. Yeah. And that has always annoyed me. Okay, not always. Since I left the church and people saying, oh, God wants me to do this. I just, I don't understand. Why are you giving up your free agency to air? I mean, there's not a physical body. We can all agree, all Christians, all religions, there is not a physical body that is God. I think we all can agree on that. So if there's not a physical body telling me, then I'm not going to presume what they want. That's, yeah. I can't even presume, and I know and love you guys a lot. I can't even presume to know what you want. Like, that's just insane. And the audacity that you would think, oh, I know what God wants is insane i'm getting okay getting I heated okay. but i you love know, that so i'm gonna yep pass it off and let someone else talk just to kind of what i drew from this and i don't know if it was by design but it was certainly the way it came across certainly as an adult re-watching this episode is the manipulation that um you've got me saying loki now amy <laughs> that Lico uses because his end game is that he thinks this can bring his dead wife back from um from the it's his motivation yeah well, his motivation to kind of keep troy tied up and to shoot her and to get everyone to do what he wants is because he wants his wife back and you know sometimes that is that that's the danger of religion when it goes bad it can kind of make people do things that the, the crowd behavior aspect all based on a belief so yeah. there's a lot yeah. in this episode that is a little bit thought-provoking and a little bit dangerous yeah amy i will just say don't ever be afraid to be passionate because that's the best part about if star trek 
and the the things that the writers and producers embody into the script if it can get us passionately talking about mm. something in an intelligent matter that's what star trek is this literally mm. is what star trek is all about listeners and sometimes you know, we may say something that gets a little controversial, but you know what? If we can't have adult discussions in a and you know in a in a well thought out manner, then you know what's the whole point of it? You know. Mm -hmm. So I love, 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 love that. You know, I th I think there's a whole passage on this book or this episode in this book I have called The Ethics of Star Trek, and it's oh. you know written by a college really? professor. And I'll grab it here next time when you guys are talking here, but. Um, it's a great book that really just jumps into ethical situations. And I know this is a classic episode. This could also be a TOS episode, by the mm -hmm. way, in my opinion. It's just done, obviously, in a more modern environment with better special effects and whatnot. But I feel like this would be very much a dilemma that would be debated by Spock and Kirk and McCoy. I could see this yeah. episode being done with that cast. As well as the obviously the lens and the, the the issues we've just discussed this episode does give us and bear in mind this is still very early on in tng's run it's the very beginning of season three so we're not hugely established but this gave us some great picard being picard moments of the the speeches the passion mm. and that scene in the transporter room when nuria comes aboard and he gives this long speech of touch my hand, feel my pulse, mm -hmm. don't kneel down in front of me. I do not deserve that. I just, I found it so moving. It is, you couldn't get that from Kirk, Janeway, Cisco. This is Picard at his best and being written in a, an amazing way. Yeah, that moment with Picard and, you know, and then she will do something that, you know, regresses. And then he's like, oh, man, I just can't get through to you. And it's like, I sort of feel that way when I'm trying to present someone who has a differing opinion, like the science, the facts. And it's like, here's fact A, here's fact B. So from those facts, we can make this conclusion that is based on facts. And there is something so strong about belief and faith. And I find it interesting because even within that family, like Liko and the daughter, the daughter is so excited to be learning the science and she's in charge of recording the time sundial thing. Like she's very scientifically minded, but was raised in Liko's, I would say moderate, Right. Because he's still very superstitious and he quickly yeah. believes in a God instead of believing in the science. So I love that that Star Trek shows different sides of an issue. What I was going to say was, you know, it's it's just really frustrated that this episode just kind of shows there's like it kind of shows the two kinds of people. And, you know, Amy and Kelvin, you guys were hitting on this, too. It's like there are people who will think about things who will be fact driven and data driven and can critically think. And then there will be those who want to um, just anything that they can't explain, just, you know, push away and, and, and call it whatever, call it God, call it religion, call it, you know, well, we, there's some things that we just don't know, but 
you know, as we progress as a human race and, or if you want to talk about the Mintakins, Picard did a really good job of like, well, how would things look, you know, to people who lived a hundred years ago, 200 years ago, 500 years ago, the technology that we have now would seem like magic. And that, uh, you know, I don't know why people can't stop and think about that now. Like, you know, if, when I when you can say that just as clear as day in 2023, why would you not come to think that you know where could we be 500 years from now or a thousand years from now? So I don't know. It's it, it's just um, it, it's hard not to think about this and not kind of get angry too. So you got to kind of have to keep your you know kind of keep your cool. But it's like yeah, how can you you know just to Amy's point, just try to draw conclusions and what someone else would want you to do. And then say, I can take a life in the name of that person. Or I can tell you, you don't have the right to exist, Kelvin, because, you know, that person may think it's wrong. And because and I can, you know, use that as an excuse for my prejudice. You know, one thing that Picard did with uh, Nuria is, you know, say, okay, well, your people a thousand years ago, you know, didn't live in huts and huts are better, right? Um, So that progression, I don't know if you've read the book Factfulness, I think is what it's named. And it restored my faith in humanity because when you look at progression from a distance like that, like over a thousand years over in this book, like over a, yeah, a thousand years, 2000 years, like where we are today as a society, look at how many of us have cell phones, like these conveniences. Um, now look at the severe poverty, the number of people living, you know, dirt floors, very, very few compared to what it was 500 years ago or even a thousand years ago. So there is progression. And so I feel like if we can see the progression and just try to continue that, um, we won't be mired down and get all, it's so easy to get frustrated and disappointed, um, but we are doing better as a human kindness. It's just hard sometimes. I think it's important that we kind of maintain that belief, you know, a light only shines in the dark and there's a lot of light around us with Star Trek and our Trek family and our beliefs. Um, I'm going to take us away from this kind of philosophical and let's let's be a little bit more creative and fun of... It got me thinking of Lower Decks in that they have gone back to the planet from Symbiosis and even the the show, the series opened with the episode Second Contact. So as we discuss this episode through the lens of First Contact in this First Contact series, I couldn't help, I sound like Carrie Bradshaw then, I couldn't help but wonder, what would Second Contact with the Mintarkans be like? Because they know they've had the experience with Picard. We we explain things. We left them to it. And the closing lines, all, please remember my people always. So if the Cerritos goes back 20 years later, what are they going to find on Mintarka 3? What are, what are you thinking? Have you got any out there ideas suggestions how would mike and the team make this funny oh i don't know how they'd make it 
funny. I would predict that they would have made a big jump in 20 years that because they know that anything's possible and they know, I think it would make them very focused on technology and science and, you know, whatnot. And so I would hope that there'd be a betterment of the people definitely, but you can only do so much in 20 years, you know, especially given that they're, you know, um, we see, you know, as they say, technology, the curve of technology gets steeper and steeper and steeper as time goes. If you look at like the 1900s, for example, where we were at the beginning to the end, as it progresses, it, everything just starts to move faster. And we see that now. Every, we keep progressing faster and faster and faster. And so, but when you're starting off from a more primitive part, like as they were, you're, you know, you're only going to do so much in a 20 year period, but I would think there'd be they almost be entering into an age of enlightenment. And I think mm -hmm. that would be probably where you would want them to do where they would have to visit it. How you make that funny is not my job. If I, if I could master that, I'd be in a different career. <laughs> How about you, Amy? Have you got any thoughts? Uh, no. And I just keep going back to the Orville when they had the Kelly <laughs> and she became the God, oh, but they, yeah. Yeah, they did a great job in that they were able to show the future and that, yes, society had united and, you know, don't have any of those isms, sexism, homophobiaism, you know, whatever. So I, I sort of, I don't know how it could be funny, but I feel like if they're so focused on science that maybe something funny that you could exaggerate is them being all science, but then not developing say like their social norms or you know and then they're I don't know stupidly rude to each other just to get the facts just the facts ma'am you know something like that maybe twist it like that I don't know what do you think Calvin I may I don't know maybe I'm just a little more cynical I like the idea that Starfleet have, has taken their eye off the ball and not continued to watch them and then 20 years later we go back uh, and you know they've got this a big statue of Captain Picard, but it's become a bit of a negative thing, and it's almost he's abandoned them. So, mm. and look like words have crept into the dialect of like, oh, that's such a Picard, you know, mm. like in a negative connotation. So, but in I, I find that could be done in such a funny way that the Cerritos crew would have to unengineer and uh, undo some of that. So, yeah, I, I like the Mintarkans being <laughs> a little bit neglected rather yeah. than. Christos, you're a little bit more wholesome than me. You like to see the better in people. <laughs> shall we uh, Shall we move on to some assimilations and regenerations? We haven't got many for this episode because it's so thematic and the canon connections are so vast. We've discussed most of them. So do you want to uh, do you want to start us off, Amy? Um, okay, yeah, there's so much to love that I'm just gonna jump to regenerations. And sort of what you were saying with the canon connection of having their memory wiped from season two pen pals, I just feel like that's too tropey and too soon to be using, oh, let's wipe their memories because we're going to do that all the time. But then it doesn't even work. Like, don't say you're going to do something and then not have it work. It just, there's another way i don't know i just didn't really care for it and i didn't even yeah. care for it in pen pals either 
Yeah. I mean, you could talk about, you know, a whole episode on the ethics of what they do say to, to, in, in, to Sharjenka and they, what they attempt to do in this episode, what they do to Kern and DS9. We don't like, know this, the long-term this, effects. Well, but, this, but who, who are you to decide that someone should lose their memories? I mean, that's, that's well, playing. Well, the prime God, directive is. Know. Well, but that's, I, yeah, I, I get the in-universe, you know, the explanation they give us in these episodes for sure. But like, but is that a flaw of the Prime Directive? Maybe the better way for that is what I'm, maybe they're trying to say is what gets to make, you know, Captain Picard or whoever uh, a god to say that you can violate somebody by, you yeah. know, having them to by taking something from them and you are taking their memories and their experiences away from them. And, um, you know, that's. It, it's controversial. I would say my regeneration or whatever would probably be my comment I made a little bit ago about the the lack of the cloaking hollow suit uh, um, that we later see in Insurrection. Obviously, it just hadn't been thought of yet. That's that's the reality of it, and it makes it makes things a lot. It makes things in Insurrection a lot more interesting, obviously, but. Um, and I think it's just one of those deals where it, it, in the in-universe, it doesn't feel quite right, but we know why it is. So, I I put a regeneration down for uh, the the guy Palmer at the beginning of the episode when the explosion goes off. He is like flailing around and basically jumps out of the duck blind. <laughs> There's no reason he should have fallen out of there, and it was very original series-esque kind of yeah. really bad <laughs> choreography. And I guess another regeneration to just tack right on top of that. Why wasn't there a window or a pane of glass or a pane of whatever <laughs> that, you know, there it's just open. Um, okay. I, is this an assimilation or a regeneration? I don't know. Um, I really love the Riker Troy connection that they have there i mean obviously mm -hmm. we are three seasons in we know they have a past they've been flirting and um so when troy is walking out front and riker's behind obviously that it being female and then the male is behind and so then that has to be so because if anyone wants services then they need to talk to the female and I was thinking about it this morning and I'm like, oh yeah, that's fun. And they just played it for a joke because the joke is that that's not our normal, right? The man right. is in front. And then I was sort of going even more meta and it's like, that's not even funny. Like that's having one person being in control, i.e. slavery, of another person. So if you yeah. want to do anything with that, then it's, and I'm like, that's not really funny. I know why they did it to sort of flip it on its head, which is why we have episodes of a matriarchal society, because we don't see it here. We are so patriarchal. And yeah. so I like the flip, but then when I really think about it, it really needs to not be gone because one person should not be in charge of another person. Yeah. I'll, I'll make you feel better about this, Amy. Um, so when you show it from the other point of view, 
you point out the absurdity of it and yes. you hopefully get people to think about, well, if you don't like the woman leading the man, think how it might feel to the woman, think, yes. you know, you leading the woman. So that's how I can be yeah. fine with that because you're just, when you show the opposite, you show the absurdity of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to also think that this, this part here, this whole little side part of it was probably Marina and Jonathan keeping the two. They talk about how they kept them as a couple throughout the years and it was the actors that kind of kept that that chemistry there and i feel like this was a lot of them in you know doing that so mm-hmm. agreed agreed yeah not a huge amounts of trivia to go through for this episode because i guess the canon element is the trivia in itself so really just a special shout out to good old vasquez rocks uh the well-known filming location that we got so much star trek in uh, was used for this episode for all of the exterior scenes. Okay, so Vasquez Rocks is in the desert in California, and it was 100 degrees out there. And I don't know if you're familiar with desert insects, scorpions, you know. So they're out there, and they were instructed to not wear any perfumes or deodorant. Think about that. In 100-degree desert weather... Um, so that they wouldn't attract any insects and get in the way. So that's a little bit of torture. How would the uh, actors' union feel about that nowadays? I don't know. Mm-hmm. How many? Uh, how much wardrobe they must have went through? Like you mm-hmm. probably had to have several costume changes per day just to, because of the perspiring and things like that. Deodorant or no deodorant? You know, you're just Amy. You know this. When it's 110. You know, things just don't go well. <laughs> and, you're, and you're trying to keep people looking sweat free and hair perfect. Yeah. And and then, you know, not having you know, pit stains. And you're, you know, I'm sure they changed uniforms. I think about like some of those guys were, you know, they're wearing their full wool suit when Jordy yeah. and them were on it. And Beverly had to wear her full thing and her lab coat and, and lab a wig coat. and a wig. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> yeah, that, would have, that probably was not fun. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, absolutely right. Uh, The things that they're forced to do in the name of TV and art. Yeah, Yeah. I don't, I guess they don't want flies and scorpions. You're right, Amy, all (laughs) over the shop. So Mm. these things we do, we suffer. So if we may now then move on to uh, final thoughts. This is only episode two in our First Contact series. So comparing to Strange New World, Children of the Comet, which we previously covered, do you have a a preference? Uh, Did one of these episodes cover the subjects of First Contact a little bit better? What are we thinking? I think this one definitely covers it uh, better, uh, more thoroughly. Uh, Like we've had lots of discussion about how it connects to canon and the philosophy of Star Trek, how media it is. I don't remember having this in-depth conversation about our society versus the Mintalkin 3s with Children of the Comet. So I'm definitely saying Who Watches the Watchers is an excellent, excellent episode. Listeners, please go back and rewatch it. I know you've seen it a million times. I know you can quote it and I know you know what's coming up next, but it's just, I put it on and I was like, oh, there's my Troy and Riker. I just, I was so happy to see them again, but the issues that it brings up really is worth 
thinking about and analyzing how am I going to recognize science over fear? How am I going to include others? How am I going to further my knowledge so that I don't become a stupid leco? Don't be a leco. That's going to become our like little like um, you know catch short uh, short catchphrase for when we're out in public, Amy. You're kind, yeah. kind of encounter it. Oh, God, right? he's such a leco. Oh my gosh, <laughs> yes. Um, what about your final thoughts, Christos? You know, these are both amazing episodes in their own right. Obviously, I enjoyed the conversation here because it's so thought-provoking of an episode. There, you know, there, there's, there's just is so much more that you can tie it back to society, you know, 30 some years ago when it was made. And it's so relevant today is what I still like about it. So talk about standing the test of time. Um, so, um, yeah, if I had to pick one over the other, I'm going to pick who watches the watchers, but I still think they're both great episodes of Star Trek. It's a hands down win for me. And I think we're all very much in agreement. This is a terrific first contact episode. It's, you know, they, they just got it right in all aspects. I really enjoyed the rewatch. I didn't remember how much I loved this episode until the rewatch so i'm very grateful and i i loved discussing it with all of us today what shows are on bqn you ask well here's a rundown of some podcasts you might be interested in all good things a star trek universe podcast covering all of trek hosted by amy mark christos and kelvin bargain bin gamer a youtube show hosted by davy a self-proclaimed gamer who specializes in reviewing and showcasing affordable video games. If you're lost in the Delta Quadrant, check out The Captain's Couch, a Star Trek Voyager podcast hosted by Jeremiah sitting on Janeway's ready room couch. Cinema Z, a film discussion and review podcast showcasing films you probably missed but should definitely check out. Hosted by Mark, Matt, and Laz. Beam Aboard the Galaxy Class, a Star Trek Next Generation podcast covering all of TNG. Hosted by Amy, Joe, Rhea, and Kevin. History with the Zilagis, a snippet of historical events from around the world. Hosted by Chrissy and Jason. For the newest Trek coverage, check out Infinite Diversity. Hosted by Chrissy and Thad. Test your Trek knowledge with Trexperts Quiz a Star Trek quiz show hosted and written by Davey. Union Federation, covering all things Star Trek and the Orville, which we all know is really a Star Trek show, hosted by Kyle, Kevin, Amy, and Haley. Spill the Tea with What's the Tea, Bev? A Trek current events and fan interview show, hosted by Christos. And for our Patreon members, we have The Hive Mind, BQN's monthly roundtable discussion with hosts and listeners. It's Green, a cornucopia of topics hosted by Mark. And Amy's Math Moments, a quick look at math moments in Star Trek, hosted by Amy. We know you have a choice of podcasts to choose from, and we thank you for listening to BQN. Assimilate the audio. Amy, why don't you tell us where we're going next week? 
All right. Well, we are, since we were talking so much about the original series, let's go back and watch The Doomsday Machine because we are going to be continuing part five of our man versus machine. Now, is this the doomsday machine that is shown up in Lower Decks? Is that the same? I don't recall it in Lower Decks. The doomsday yeah. machine is like, it looks like the space worm. Um, in, yeah, it, no, it, it's like a big waffle cone attacking people in space. And you got crazy Commodore Decker, I believe, in this episode. And uh-huh. it's, it, it's, it's, it's a good one. I actually it's know a, this one quite well. Yeah, Listeners, one of my favorite EOS. Oh my gosh, I swear, I swear to you, I have watched every episode. And I know I say this all the time, but I see the name like that, the Doomsday Machine. And I literally could tell you nothing about it. What is wrong with me? Amy, it's not, it. you know what it is? It's like, it's like students. You have students that are oh. really good at school, but don't test well. And then you have students that, you know, that just test really well. That's Kelvin. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, you know your trek. You just, once you, you're going to watch this episode, you'll be like, oh yeah, I remember this guy. Yeah. And I remember that dirtbag Commodore Decker. <laughs> we would love to hear what you thought of today's episode. And we hope you'll join our Facebook group, the BQN Collective, to continue our discussion there. You can also reach us at All Good Things on Twitter and Blue Sky, please follow the network on Twitter, Blue Sky, and Instagram at BQN Podcasts. We've also partnered with our friends at Fandom Podcast Network, where you can find us by searching the Master Feed. So, Amy, where can people find you when you're not getting all sweaty in Vasquez Rocks? Well, when I'm not doing that, listeners, you can find me here on the network where I'm co hosting Union Federation. I am on that Twitter X place at Miss Amy Nelson, but my favorite place, BQN Collective, our Facebook group. And Christos, when you're not flailing outside of a duck blind, getting blown out, uh, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on the socials at, at GreekGeekSD, uh, mostly Instagram these days, but also um, the BQN Collective on Facebook. Uh, and Calvin, where can people find you when you're not walking three steps behind James? <laughs> wow. Um, I'm really taken aback by that one. That's a great one. Thank you, Krista. Mm-hmm. Um, when I'm not doing that, you can find me over on the socials at Kelvin's Timeline or indeed like the rest of us in our EQN Collective Facebook group. Please hit the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a star rating and written review. That helps others to find the show. You can also follow the entire network's podcast with our master feed by searching BQN. At this time, we would like to thank our associate producers, Mahendran Radhakrishnan and Tim Cooper. A special thanks to Graham Kelly for our opening and closing music. And to Mark for our artwork each and every week. Thank you. If you'd like to help us keep our shows coming to each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. We will add you to the Hive Mind Facebook group so you can enjoy its green, Amy's Math Moments, and other network perks. 
With a monthly subscription of $5 or more, you can join our meetings on the Hive Mind Roundtable discussion the second Saturday of each month. Visit patreon.com forward slash DQN to get all the details and watch your messages. Thank you for listening. We hope you'll join us as we search out all good things. You guys are, we're just hitting it on all, all, all fours on this one. Or not all fours. We're just hitting it all cylinders on this one. Jeez, you're going to have to, Kelvin, you're going to have to edit that, Kelvin. <laughs>